welcome to the Monday, January 19th edition of the Russ and I's Your Day show, found exclusively at RussandEyesYourDay.com. Now, you may notice that the voice you're hearing is not that of Russ Van Allen. I am Andrew Gomison, and I am privileged to take you through the next hour of Russ and I's Your Day. I hope that you will find that this show will be fun and informative in Russ's absence, and that if you enjoy it, you will give him some feedback. You can find him at Russ Van Allen on Twitter, and you can find him also at RussandEyes at gmail.com, because as Russ always says, if you're famous and you've made it in the world of media, you have your own Gmail account. All right, well, I'm just going to start out today's show by giving you a little bit of background on myself. Russ and I actually met at Master Arts Theater, and it's one of our favorite places to, to be. We both like theater an awful lot, and we both also enjoy podcasting. So I'm very grateful that Russ has given me this opportunity to be with you today. I am the founder of Speaking for Him, a ministry that you can find at speakingforhim.com. I started the ministry in uh, September of 2009 and began preaching in churches, um, mostly throughout West Michigan, but also in a couple other states, including Tennessee and Illinois, looking to expand that however God may allow me to do so. I would encourage you, if you would like more information, to go to speakingforhim.com. That's speaking the number for him.com to find out more about my ministry, including my statement of faith and my mission statement, which gives you a detailed idea of what I believe and why I am doing what I am doing. In 2012, I had the opportunity to branch off into podcasting, and I have the privilege of podcasting from a local Christian radio station, uh, along with a co-host, which I do not have uh, the luxury of today, but I am going to do my best to muddle through without one. Uh, it's definitely beneficial uh, to have one, and I am very thankful for that. But we are going to have a good show today, a lot of good topics to talk about. And uh, first of all, it is Martin Luther King Day, and so many uh, government agencies and schools are closed. And so I wanted to take a little bit of an opportunity to acknowledge that Martin Luther King Jr. was a great uh, spokesman for the civil rights movement. Um, he was a great example in many ways. I kind of take a little bit of a different view of this than some people do, and I hope that I won't ruffle too many feathers. Um, I definitely think it's important to acknowledge uh, the importance that civil rights has played in our history and continues to play, but I also think that we need to be careful uh, that we don't hang on to racist leanings or um, transpose them almost to the opposite effect, um, and hang on to it too long. And what do I mean by this? Uh, when America was founded, and throughout its history, we've been known as a melting pot. People come here from all over the world, as they should, and seek to establish a better life in our country. My great-grandfather himself came from Denmark at, I believe, around 19 years old, because he was seeking a better life for his family. Nothing wrong with that. However, I think especially in recent years, we've gone from a melting pot to an ice cube tray. 
we no longer want to come together and unify as Americans. We want to be able to come to America, have all the benefits of America, and still maintain our culture. And let me clarify that as well, because I'm not saying you should never have any vestiges of your culture. I'm very proud of my heritage, and I think it's important to continue to tell your children about your heritage and to enjoy that. But I also believe that we need to be Americans first and foremost if we come over here. One particular aspect of that is I think that if you come over here, you should make every effort to learn English. I'm not going to belabor this point, but the point simply that I was trying to make is that there's a lot to be proud of here in America, and uh, we've made a lot of progress in uh, civil rights and immigrant rights, and we should be very grateful for that and grateful for the people like Martin Luther King Jr. who helped to make it all possible. Um, but I also would like to just say a brief word here uh, about current media trends, specifically um, two TV shows. Now, I will say right off the bat that I have not seen either of these TV shows an episode in their entirety, but it kind of bothers me, um, some of the shows that come out, in particularly um, two shows, Blackish and Fresh Off the Boat, which seem um, to highlight racism at a time when we should be trying to get past it. Now, as I said before, I believe that, uh, or if I haven't said this before, I mean it, that I believe that racism is alive and well for some people. But I think, by and large, our country is very respectful of different races and gives people opportunities, not on the basis of their skin color, but on the basis of the content of their character. And I, as a disabled American, do know what it's like to be discriminated against. I definitely know, sometimes when I go into an interview, how the eye roll can happen and how people can very quickly size me up when I come into an interview and I can get a very solid vibe that they're not going to give me much of a chance in their company. So I definitely see that discrimination does happen. Don't want to downplay that. But I also think that we need to get back to the melting pot of mentality. We need to stop being in an ice cube tray. We need to meld together um, in as many ways as possible and enjoy our freedoms as Americans. So that is all I will say on that topic. I just wanted to say um, by way of uh, some information about Martin Luther King Jr. Day, if I can pull it up here. Um, beginning in 1971, cities such as St. Louis, Missouri, and states established annual holidays to honor King. At the White House Rose Garden on November 2, 1983, President Ronald Reagan signed a bill creating a federal holiday to honor King. Observed for the first time on January 20, 1986, it is called Martin Luther King Jr. Day, Following President George H.W. Bush's 1992 proclamation, the holiday is observed on the third Monday of January each year near the time of King's birthday. On January 17, 2000, for the first time, Martin Luther King Jr. Day was officially observed in all 50 states. Arizona, 1992, New Hampshire, 1999, and Utah, 2000 were the last three states to recognize the holiday. 
Um, Utah had previously celebrated this holiday under the name of Human Rights Day. Now, that was pretty interesting to me in my research that we didn't celebrate this as 50 states um, until the year 2000. Um, but it just shows that you learn th something new every day, and I think it's important that we as the public, as the citizens, know about our country and learn about our country and aren't constantly being fed things. I'm very excited to be on this show and to share information with you, but my purpose in doing so is to encourage you to have a great thirst for information yourself and to be excited to see where that will lead you. Um, and so I just want to say that I hope um, for all of you out there who are celebrating Martin Luther King Jr. Day, who have um, uh, a vested interest in this thing, maybe you are um, of, uh, of a different race, and you've experienced some of the hardships that go along with that, I hope that you are seeing progress, and I hope that you have um, gained um, some acceptance, and I, and I do uh, feel bad for you if you have uh, experienced discrimination. Like I said, I have experienced my share as a disabled American, and but I try not to make um, my wheelchair the biggest thing about me. My wheelchair happens to be just something that gets me from place to place, and I try in every aspect of my life not to make it the centerpiece of who I am. So that is where I wanted to start today, and now I would like to uh, comment on something that a good friend of mine, Naomi Van Harn, brought to my attention um, just yesterday, as a matter of fact. Um, she said that she was... Uh, heard this on the radio, I believe, uh, Governor Rick Snyder um, recently signed a cyberbullying bill um, that extends some cyberbullying uh, uh, laws that were on the books to include social media. Now, this is an interesting uh, discussion because on the surface, it does appear that this is a good thing. We don't want cyberbullying. We, we need to make sure that people that are bullies are punished and that they are taught that that is not an appropriate behavior. Um, however, I do have a slight problem when the government gets involved in some of these things. Uh, Ronald Reagan... Um, once famously said um, that the that the worst words in the English language are we're from the government we're here or rather I'm from the government I'm here to help you and so I think that um, those are true words and it was kind of um, in full candor and honesty for uh, Ronald to be that honest with us as Americans but I'm what I'm getting at is the fact that here we have this cyberbullying bill. Um, and on the surface, like I said, it sounds like a good idea. But the problem I have here is the potential for government overreach. If I can go on a little rabbit trail here, I will say that something that is very similar to that for me is the issue of faith-based initiatives. When George W. Bush put forth his faith-based initiatives for the government to give more help to charities. I remember 
on the surface being excited. But then I thought about this and I realized um, that the ramifications might not be that great. And what I mean by that is um, if you have a guy who is who is on your side, or in our case, has a Judeo-Christian uh, ethic, it might seem like a good idea for there to be faith-based initiatives, and it might, might seem great for uh, the government to help out in those areas. But the problem comes uh, if you establish these faith-based initiatives, um, and you get somebody that doesn't respect people of faith, that doesn't respect the Christian worldview, um, they could take it in directions that it was never intended to go in the first place, and yet um, it got the ball rolling and it started, and that's where we are. And so I don't know much about this cyberbullying bill, but I will say um, that I... I often think that certain laws are more just band-aids. The real issue here is that we need to teach character. We need to teach character to our kids so that they won't bully, and we need to teach character to our kids in responding to bullying. And especially when it comes to cyberbullying, we just need to be aware of what our kids are doing on social media. If you look at Facebook, you know that legally... You're not allowed to have a Facebook until you're 13 years old. But I have seen many cases where kids much younger than 13 get Facebooks. They lie about their age so that they can get a social media account. And I think that's where a lot of the trouble starts. So I don't want to totally um, downplay what Governor Snyder is trying to do here. I think he may have um, some some good intentions at heart. But I'm I am concerned that we kind of ask for these bills to be passed when we abdicate personal responsibility. And I think, I think to me, that's actually the biggest thing, is are we abdicating personal responsibility? Or are we willing to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, what can we do about this issue? Uh, in my mind, uh, it never uh, should have been a law, needed to be a law because people should have been dealing with it at a more organized, more organic level, but some of the a lot of these laws come because people aren't following laws that are already in place, and they aren't following good character. You know, our founders had this idea that our constitutional republic would work because people were willing to take responsibility to do the right thing. That's what people don't understand about freedom. Many people today will say that freedom is the opportunity to do whatever I want. But the reality is, freedom is not so much the opportunity to do what I want. It's the opportunity to do what I ought to do. And I think we've lost a real vision in our country uh, for what we ought to do. And so as we think about this issue of cyberbullying and bullying, bullying in particular... I would just say that we need to proceed with caution and we need to be careful um, at how much we are calling on uh, government as our big brother to bail us out of these issues. So um, I by no means am an expert um, and the little blurb that I did see didn't really go into much detail, but that's what I um, would say about the issue in general. We just need to be about teaching responsibility. We need to be teaching our kids to grow up and and I guess that would be another issue is the fact that um, 
a lot of times when you see kids who are uh, growing up and maturing and working hard at young ages, people say, well, you're squelching their childhood. But the problem with that is we have uh, children who are um, in 30-year-old bodies. As a matter of fact, there was a recent article in the last year or so about how adolescence has been expanded to include people up to the age of 30. And I don't know about you, but to me there's some cause for concern. Uh, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, when I was a child, I thought as a child, I understood as a child, and um, I communicated as a child, spoke as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And I think uh, what we're seeing in our culture today is a, a delayed um, opportunity or attempt to put away childish things. Um, one of the best things my father ever did for me is when I was 13, he sat me down and he said, today you become a man. He did not expect me to act like a man in all facets um, just because I was 13, but he did give me the directions that I needed to continue on that path. And I, I am by no means perfect, but he allowed me um, to to skip some pretty harrowing uh, issues that I might have faced in my teen years had we not had that discussion. And as I said, as I said I'm, I'm not perfect. My family that lives with me will tell you that, but I have learned a lot, and I thank my father for instilling me a level of maturity and this idea that just because I was young didn't mean I had to act down uh, to other people's levels. I could be mature, and I could even, as the Bible says, be an example to people, especially believers, uh, in word and deed and in purity. So that's just some things to keep in mind as far as that goes. Another important thing that um, this week marks um, on Thursday, I believe, will be the 40 second anniversary of Roe versus Wade. And for those who may not know, although I think most of us do, Roe versus Wade is the Supreme Supreme Court decision that marks the legalization of abortion uh, in all 50 states for all nine months of pregnancy. Um, I do think there was some uh, discussion about viability in the original court case, but it was so vague that it has um, become all-encompassing to all nine months of pregnancy and including um, partial birth abortion, which is literally uh, taking a child out of its mother's womb, getting it in the breech position, and then uh, you know killing it by puncturing its head. Uh, and so it's very uh, sad that that is the reality in our country, and I've been passionate about it for some time. Um, I have worked for Right to Life of Michigan in the past. I worked there for ten and a half years, and I really liked uh, working at Right to Life. A lot of good people there, um, and a lot of good things uh, have happened in Michigan uh, as a result of the founding of Right to Life, which I believe actually predated Roe versus Wade by about three years, but I think uh, we we saw some of the signs coming up the pike, uh, and uh, and they tried to take some proactive steps. 
Well, one of the things I want to mention uh, while we're on this life issue is the fact that a lot of times people say, well, don't shove your morality down my throat. That's something that people say often. Uh, but I want to bring to you uh, some interesting thoughts about that. Um, because a lot of times people say, well, don't, don't make this about your religion or don't make me religious when I'm not. Don't make me believe what you believe. But one of the things that really uh, bugs me is that people people will say, don't foist uh, your religion on me, but they're always foisting their non-religion on those of us who care about biblical things. Uh, not to mention that you have organizations um, like Boy Scouts of America and Toastmasters International, just to name a couple, that started from a Christian worldview with a Christian mission. I believe even Goodwill Industries can be lumped in there. And they have little to no interest in godly things now. Toastmasters International was, in fact, um, founded by its founder for the express purpose of teaching people to share the gospel with others. And we've gotten so far away from that that I was in a Toastmasters group, which ironically was um, hosted at a Christian organization, quote-unquote, and they started getting sick of my talking about my faith in Christ during those speeches. But my faith in Christ is a very important part of what I do. Um, and I even notice um, that I'm talking about it more than Russ even does on his show usually. That's probably because I'm coming at this from the perspective of a preacher. And so I hope not to be too preachy to you today. Um, but that is just uh, my perspective. But I wanted to bring this to you. The fact of the matter is, uh, let me see if I can find the number here. Um, I think, um, where is it? It says, um, prior to 1973, states determined the legality of abortion. Through the mid-1960s, 44 states outlawed abortion in nearly all situations that did not threaten the life or health of the mother. States began liberalizing their abortion laws in the 1960s and 70s. And so, basically, what I think a lot of people don't understand is that 44 of the 50 states had essentially outlawed abortion uh, throughout the land by vote of the people i think my dad said that he even vote, he even voted for i mean voted for um uh stringent restrictions here in michigan about a year before um the roe versus wade decision came down and then roe versus wade was basically uh nine justices who took up this topic and i'm not exactly sure what the count is i think it was a seven to two account because at that time the the court was still fairly liberal I mean it still is but it was pretty liberal um, for for even the court for back then but I think by a seven to two decision and Justice Blackman wrote the um, wrote the vic victorious uh, um, summary uh, memorandum uh, whatever it was that you called it wrote out the decision 
um, and and put it forth to the public of why they chose that. And just like that, the work of so many states and the votes of so many people uh, failed to count. And so, and I think we're ramping up for a second incarnation of the Roe versus Wade decision with the issue of um, gay marriage. Uh, where there, it looks like the Supreme Court is going to take that up um, in April of this year. And so um, I think we, we need to be realistic and realize that um, these decisions um, can, in very, in very short order, take um, the will of the people out of the equation. Um, we're supposed to have three equal branches of government. We're supposed to have... Um, legislative, judicial, and executive, and they're supposed to keep each other in balance. Um, but so often um, these get out of balance and the government by the people, for the people, and of the people um, goes out the window. Um, and I also, it's kind of ironic how um, the left will scream tolerance. They'll say we need to be tolerant of everyone. But when a Christian espouses an opinion, they get blasted. Not only that, but you'll notice, especially in the recent past, when uh, people um, make declarations of a conservative mindset, um, or even uh, have that kind of mindset that everybody knows about, the media will ask them directly, knowing how they're going to answer, and then blast them for their answer, as if they were totally shocked by what they already knew. And uh, there are certain high-profile examples of that. Uh, Kirk Cameron, when he was talking about um, the gay marriage issue, he was asked what his feelings were. He didn't volunteer the information. He was asked for an interview, and then he was asked uh, point-blank, what is your view on this? And he gave his view. He had every right to give his view, um, but he was still blasted for that so um and then you had his sister candace who recently wrote a book called balancing it all in which she talked about the importance of being submissive to her husband because the bible says that the man is the head of uh, the woman as christ is the head of the church not in a dictatorial way not in a slave way but it's what the bible says and if you want to disagree with the bible that's your right but she um, chooses uh, to uphold the biblical principle, and she got so blasted um, by the media for that. Um, and uh, so, and and Phil Robertson uh, with Duck Dynasty and the Duggar family who are on TLC, they have faced their own share of that. But there's definitely uh, not a balance there. Um, in in some good news, because we don't want to just talk about uh, bad news, we want to talk about good news as well. In some good news, uh, I am very pleased that uh, Duke University has chosen to back off of their uh, original uh, declaration from, I believe it was last week, when they said they were going to have a Muslim call to prayer uh, go out of... Um, their uh, college chapel every day, and uh, I was really pleased that they backed off when people expressed concern. I did not know until I read the article that they are in fact a um, Methodist uh, school, uh, by origin at least, 
And so, uh, good for them. I'm glad that they uh, listened to the people. Uh, because, really, that's what this is all about. It's not about saying that other religions don't have freedom of religion. But it's just about this bias that is so very clearly against Christians and for almost anything else. And anybody that um, expresses any concern with anything that's not Christian uh, just doesn't get the time of day uh, as far as um, some of this is going. And then also just referring a little bit back to what I was talking about with the anniversary of Roe versus Wade coming up, one encouraging thing, although I'm not sure how far it's going to go, uh, because we have a president who has uh, promised to uh, waive or use his veto pen, which Russ has talked about on this show. That That's one of um, Barack Obama's uh, most uh, potent weapons. Uh, he has promised to use his veto pen for whatever this Republican-led Congress, uh, now that we have the House and the Senate, um, puts forth, that he's going to make sure that it gets vetoed. Um, but but one of the things that our new Congress is working on is a uh, Unborn Infant Pain Act, which essentially states that a baby can feel pain as early as 20 weeks, and so um, abortions, abortions after that point should not be allowed. Now, this does not go um, far enough in some ways, and some people will say, well, if it doesn't go all the way, I'm not for it. Um, but I actually am for uh, as many limits as we can put on uh, this issue. And one of the interesting things that's happened in Michigan is we've passed some pretty great uh, reforms as far as uh, health codes um, and different medical things that abortion clinics have to pass in the state of Michigan. Because that's another thing that people don't tell you is that abortion uh, in general and the abortion industry and abortion clinics are some of the most underregulated um, uh, medical things uh, that uh, happen in our country. And so if we're talking about having something be safe, legal, and rare, we're not doing a very good job of it when it comes right down to it. So we need to make sure that that is something that uh, we um, prize and that we are taking it uh, seriously. And I'm very excited that um, some of these um, candidates that have gone in are at least thus far early on sticking to some of the conservative values that they, excuse me, that they got into office on. So that is an exciting thing. Um, and uh, I just hope that going forward, we can see a um, great resurgence of um, conservative uh, family values because uh, they are good for America. Um, the, the broken home is higher than it's ever been, and, and people are so disillusioned, and we really have a give-me generation, and... Uh, just really need a lot of help, and um, uh, we need a moral standard to live by. And the moral standards uh, that uh, this country was founded on, whether people like it or not, um, are the Bible. Because even those founding fathers who were not 
Christians still had a respect for the Bible that you just don't see um, nowadays. Uh, Benjamin Franklin, who uh, blatantly said, I am not a Christian, he still said that God governs in the affairs of men. So he still had that mindset. All right, well, the next thing that I would like to spend some time on today is this idea of electability. And I know that as we ramp up for the presidential election in 2016, uh, Russ will talk more about this. Um, I'm hoping that uh, I will have a chance to be on the show with Russ to talk more about these issues. It's kind of ironic to me that my first appearance on the Russ and I's Your Day show is as a guest host, and so Russ is not here. Um, but I hope he appreciates what he's hearing. And again, I just want to reiterate uh, that if you appreciate what you're hearing, please uh, let Russ know and uh, so that he will hopefully invite me uh, to come back and uh, talk to you again. But um, right now, I want to talk about, again, like I said, this idea of electability. Because from the time that I was young, I always heard um, about candidates. And there were always candidates that the media would like to follow and always candidates that were kind of on the fringes of, of what the media would like to follow. And I want to actually talk about two different aspects of electability. Um, and first of all, I actually want to talk about um, this idea of earning nominations because of the time that you've put into your party. And this is particularly prevalent with several members of the Republican Party. I think it might even be more prevalent in the Republicans than the Democrats. I'm not entirely sure about that because I don't profess uh, to be an expert. But one of the things that happens is you have these people that supposedly earned their right to the nomination uh, because of how long they've faithfully served the Republican Party. And I just think that whole ideology is wrong. And we also see that it's not very uh, it's not very helpful to your candidacy, and it doesn't really guarantee much in the way of a victory. Um, it, to me, it's a horrible premise. Um, it's a horrible reason to give someone the nomination because we need to nominate people that will make a difference in this country. We need to nominate people that love this country, that want to see it succeed, that want to make changes where they need changes and want to keep things the way they are, where they are working. And, of course, um, a lot of changes are needed now. But just think about this, for example. The first um, election that I remember being particularly cognizant of was, um, or at least of this, I will say, of this uh, pattern of giving people the nomination because they earned it, was 1996. Uh, when we nominated Bob Dole as president. And he chose Jack Kemp, I believe, as his running mate. And um, I will admit that I was um, cautiously excited. I wanted to see Bob Dole win. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized um, he was kind of put in there just for the reason we talked about before, that he had earned the nomination. Well, he went on uh, to lose to Bill Clinton for Bill Clinton's second term in office. And he it really, um, 
uh, if I remember correctly, wasn't much of a contest. And so that was the first time I realized that, hey, this whole idea of getting the nomination because you earned it is not a good place to be. Then we uh, move on and we see that John McCain uh, got the nomination in 2008. Um, and he was pretty much soundly defeated uh, by Barack Obama. Um, he, like so many other uh, Republicans, um, was not, in my mind, different enough. You know, I think a lot of these Republicans uh, try to be moderate, uh, middle of the road, and even lean a little bit left so they can attract more of the left. But see, the, the liberals have been liberal a lot longer, so they know how to do it right. When we conservatives try to be liberal, we just don't know what we're doing, and so we fail. Um, but in all seriousness, that's exactly what happened. Um, he tried to be um, to appeal to both sides, and he wasn't strong, uh, particularly on any of the issues that were most important uh, to the conservative base, like myself, and he lost. And then what did we do in 2012? We nominated Mitt Romney, who a lot of people wouldn't vote for because he was a Mormon. And to me, that wasn't the most important uh, strike against him necessarily, uh, because we have plenty of people uh, who were pre have been president who claimed to be Christians in one denomination or another, and it didn't make that much of a difference in their politics. Um, but the, the thing that did bother me about Mitt Romney was that he basically um, felt like a classic flip-flopper, because he got to be governor of one of the more liberal states in the Union, Massachusetts, and you don't get that by being conservative. Uh, he ran as a uh, pro-choice Republican. Uh, he got in uh, having a very um, liberal to moderate view of many social issues, including abortion, and then he comes in to the 2012 campaign and tries to convince us that he is a conservative. Um, and it just didn't work. And once again, we, we lost because we chose to give the nomination to a guy that one way or another, people had felt had earned the nomination. So my appeal to you as the voters is not to think about people that have earned the nomination, but the people that we need to get into office to make changes in our country. And uh, another thing that irritates me while I'm on the topic is this overemphasis on economic issues. Now, I understand that we need to make our economy better. I understand that jobs need to be there. I, I have struggled with employment myself. I understand that that's, that's a real issue and we shouldn't downplay it. But I also know that moral issues are important. And I would uh, even venture to say that they are more important because a moral nation will be an economically blessed nation. Uh, I don't, I'm not saying a prosperity gospel, but when we do things God's way, he will bless us. The Bible says in Proverbs, the blessing of the Lord maketh rich and he adds no sorrow with it. Um, and so I don't necessarily think that you're going to be rich beyond your wildest dreams if you do God's will. But I think that he will have a problem blessing a nation um, 
economically that will not bless him morally. And so I think that the moral issues um, need to be uh, front and center. And I think if you go down the line, you'll find out that the people that stand uh, with um, the Bible on the majority of issues are economically responsible, do have economic uh, wisdom because the Bible talks about economics like it talks about anything else. So I think we need to get back to a place where the moral issues are at the forefront of the campaign and everything else grows out of there because if you have your morals right, then every other aspect will fall into place. Okay, so the second part of this um, accountability thing, uh, or not accountability, but part of this electability thing that I want to talk about. Um, and I'm going to, to refer to a blog post, uh, that I wrote about that, uh, a few weeks back. Let me see if I can pull it up here, find my mouse. Um, yes, right about, a, um, about a week after the election, I wrote a blog post in which I kind of talked about some of the things I've already talked about. But one of the biggest things, points that I wanted to get um, across, and this is dated Monday, November 10th, 2014, on the Speaking For Him blog at speakingforhim.blogspot.com, uh, if you wanted to check it out. The one thing, the biggest thing I wanted to get through is we the people uh, decide who is electable. Because one of the favorite phrases that people like to bandy about, bandy about, is this guy's not electable. Or we have to go with this guy because even though we don't totally agree with him, he's more electable than the other guy. And we often play not to lose rather than playing to win. And I specifically focus on Ben Carson. I really like Ben Carson. I think he would he would be a good commander-in-chief. Um, I know that he lacks some political experience, but it's kind of funny how we are as people because some of us were like, oh, we don't really want a career politician. The last thing we need is another politician that just wants to be a politician for life, and, and that's why he's going for the presidency. But then on the other side of the coin, we say, well, he's not experienced enough to be president, and we need to find um, some sort of middle ground. And, and another thing I would say is that the mark of a good man, a good president, would be someone that is willing and able to put good people around them. Uh, because while the president is one title and he is somewhat in charge of uh, the executive branch of government, he is responsible to surround himself with a cabinet and with other staff members who will help him to best put forth his agenda, which is hopefully for the betterment of our country. And I really think that Ben Carson has that um, view of why he would run for president and what he would do if he became president. Plus, uh, the irony is all those liberals who said that we didn't vote for Barack Obama because he was black, they couldn't use that argument anymore. I often tell people I voted for a black man before it was cool. Uh, because I voted for Alan Keyes twice um, for president in the primaries. Um, I think that he didn't get enough credit. 
for what he could bring to the table. He did face some of the same issues of a lack of political experience, uh, experience though he was an ambassador. Um, and uh, so I think we just really need to think about this and, and realize that we the people are the ones that determine the electability of of our president and our other uh, members of our elected office throughout the state and in our country. Um, I find it a little bit disheartening that although we elect um, elected Republicans at almost every major level of state government, we still managed to um, to put a very liberal uh, senator into office which may very well, because there are no term limits and there won't be term limits, may very well be in office for the next 30 years, as was Carl Levin, who took office before I was born and finally went out in this last election cycle. So we need to be very careful about what we put in, or who we put into office. Um, and one more thing that I wanted to mention, I know we're, we're drawing ever closer to the end of the show. I know Russ likes to keep it within the hour um, so that you don't get overwhelmed as the listener and so that you can be consistent with the content. And so we'll try to do our best to do that. But the final thing I wanted to mention in these regards is in this past election, uh, the city of Grand Rapids decided on term limits for its city officials. And what I thought was kind of hilarious was the next day or in the next few days, there was headlines that said, uh, Mayor George Hartwell ousted because of the election. Uh, my friends, Mayor Hartwell was not ousted from the mayorship. It is simply put that the people of Grand Rapids wanted tournaments as a way of accountability for the city. I do not live in Grand Rapids, but I grew up in the Grand Rapids area. I have a lot of uh, joy for being around the Grand Rapids area, and I want to see that city thrive, and I just think term limits are a very good way to make sure that it continues to thrive. And the big reason why I think that is because um, we're talking about making people think every four or six years, whatever the term is, and really think about who their choice is. Now, you may choose not to think even if there are term limits. I'm not saying it's a guarantee, ironclad. But I will say that if you have a guy, like, for instance, going back to my Carl Levin example, and you say, well, I'm no worse off than I was six years ago, the last time I voted for him, and he hasn't done anything to hurt me personally, so I'm just going to vote for him, not really realizing um the, the far-reaching influence and the far-reaching implications uh, that he had on what was going on in our state. And so it would be very easy to just pull the lever and send Carl Levin back for six years. And we, the people of Michigan, did that several times. And so I think with tournaments coming into Grand Rapids, I think it just gives more people the opportunity to step up and serve. Um, because that kind of leads to another topic, the idea of public service. When our country started, when when the Democratic Republic started and, and politics really started in this country, the idea was public service. It was more of a part-time thing. It was something you did because you loved your country, because people uh, 
often suggested that you uh, run and, and they wanted you to go in because you had things to contribute uh, to our society, to our country, to our to your city. And so I think that's what this uh, whole um, accountability thing does, this whole term limit thing does, is it just gives people of Grand Rapids the chance to step up and maybe say, I could run for mayor. I could be the next guy to impact, or, or woman, to impact my city. And I think that will happen, and that will be a very good thing for our country. Um, I know that if you look back into history, you'll find that the reason the presidents are term limited is because FDR um, served about three and a half terms, uh, or, or maybe just over three terms, but he was elected four times. And the Congress basically said after that happened, we're never going to allow that to happen again. Uh, because they realized that there were far-reaching implications to having a guy potentially serve as president for 16 years. So they um, restricted it to eight years. And I think overall it's been a good thing. Uh, you know, would I have liked to see a president like Ronald Reagan stay in office a little longer? Perhaps. But we found out later after he left office that he was already beginning to struggle with Alzheimer's toward the end of his uh, first term in office, or the second term in office, excuse me. And so if he had stayed for that third term, he probably wouldn't have finished it, and it would have just been a big uh, fiasco and it would have tarnished his legacy. And so my hope is that people will realize that this term limits thing is actually a pretty good idea, even if sometimes um, it's annoying, uh, like when George W. Bush uh, had to give way to uh, to Barack Obama. But uh, I hope that you have really enjoyed uh, this hour of the Russ and I is Your Day show. Um, I want to thank Russ very much for allowing me to take the opportunity um, to be in the studio with you, um, the remote uh, studio. We're not in the Russ Van Allen studios today, but Russ is on his way back from Milwaukee, and so he gave me this opportunity to step in for him and talk about some of the issues that we are facing today, and I hope that you have enjoyed it. I hope that you will... Uh, give Russ some feedback. Again, Russ and Eyes at gmail.com or at Russ Van Allen on Twitter. Um, and you can go to Russ and Eyes Your Day.com to get hooked up to all things Russ. And um, also, you can contact me with any feedback that you have uh, because I'm hoping to do this in a future opportunity and to continue to help Russ out. Uh, because I do um, like uh, waxing political from time to time, and I really appreciate uh, the opportunity uh, to have this forum uh, to bring you, as Russ often says, excellence in podcasting. So I hope that you will um, take the opportunity uh, to um, avail yourself of Russ's website, RussAndIsYourDay.com, as well as my website, um, speaking the number for him.com and uh, you should get hooked up with our, with my blog which is speaking for him 
www.blogspot.com. I try to post blog posts on Mondays, standalone blog posts on Mondays, when I have original content to share with you. And then, of course, I do a throwback Thursday at this point for my podcast. And uh, so that goes up on Thursdays. And then the week's podcast uh, goes up on Fridays. And just uh, a few words about that. This past Friday was a podcast about the 40 film, which kind of goes with the sanctity of human life theme. And so I would encourage you to check out that podcast and then go to um, the website that is mentioned on that podcast and get more information about the 40 film so that you can be more knowledgeable about the uh, the life issue because there's no uh, antidote for ignorance other than gaining knowledge. A lot of people um, speak about things that they have little or no knowledge about. I hope that uh, you will find as you research some of the things that we've talked about today uh, that I have spoken with knowledge, that I have spoken with intelligence, and uh, I hope that you have enjoyed this show. I'm not quite as funny, I would say, in some ways as Russ is, um, but I hope that it was still a good time for you, and I, I hope that you um, will have a great, great Monday. Russ will be back on Wednesday with a brand new edition of the Russ and I's Your Day show, um, and uh, I'm excited uh, to listen um, because not only am I guest hosting, but I'm uh, also a big fan of Russ and what he's doing on the Russ and I's Your Day show. Um, and I know Russ will continue to talk about this more, but he um, also, as I'm going out, I will take a few moments to say that he is currently recording season two of the Red Rock Mysteries uh, for CB CBH, well, formerly CBH Ministries, which is now Keys for Kids Ministries. That place seems to change their name an awful lot, but they're still doing uh, good work for the kingdom of God. And one of those things is the Red Rock Mysteries, where Russ plays uh, Sam Timberline and uh, the stepfather in that family of detective uh, twins. And so uh, I hope that you will take the opportunity to listen to that. I think it's on, on WCSG at 8 o'clock here in Grand Rapids on Sunday evenings. And there are some other stations as well. I'm pretty sure that if you go to keysforkids.net, you can look at a show log or a, or a radio station log and find out exactly where that show is. And also, I am not quite recalling uh, the date at this point, but Russ is going to be featured in Laugh Fest, so you want to make sure that you look up information for the Community Showcase, I believe it is called, and support Russ in his uh, stand-up comedy uh, efforts. Um, it's kind of a great thing that we have a comedy festival um, like Laugh Fest to kind of get us out of the winter blues, get us into uh, the spring and the warmer weather, which I am certainly looking forward to, and I just hope that you will avail yourself of that. All right, well, it's been a great hour. I hope that you have been uh, benefited 
I hope that you will um, enjoy your evening and that you will go forth from listening to this show um, a more informed citizen and a better uh, statesman or woman. Uh, because um, as John F. Kennedy said, uh, it is incumbent upon us as citizens to ask not what our country can do for us, but to ask what we can do for our country. And I hope that you will take that to heart um, because we are all here um, for a limited time on this earth. We're giving an, given an opportunity to serve the Lord and to serve others, and we should take full advantage of that. Well, I think I will sign off now, and uh, I just want to say thank you for um, listening. Thank you for being gracious with me. If you have any feedback, like I said, on this first ever guest hosting appearance, on the Rustinize Your Day show, please feel free to get in touch with me. I would love to talk to you. I'd love to get some feedback. Love to know what you'd like to hear on my podcast as well. Uh, there's all kinds of audio on my website. In addition to the podcast, there is my sermons. And also, if your church wants to have me um, come and speak, please uh, get on my website and fill out the form there and let me know. With that, I will say goodbye and have a great evening.